good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Rachel and um, I help uh, serve in the kids' church here. Um, I'm bringing the Bible reading this morning. This morning's reading comes from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through to 7. And um, if you can open your Bibles and and read along with me. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles available up the back that uh, we would love to give you. Um, So if you want to avail yourself of that. So Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It is not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Necheron, Timon, Parnius, and Nicholas of Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's James. If we haven't met, I'd love to get to know you after the service. But can I get you, grab your Bibles, um, get them out there in front of you as we open up and continue our sermon series in the book of Acts, a series in which we're looking and seeing that the gospel's unstoppable, that as we seek to make and grow disciples of Jesus, we can actually see that it's possible because of, of, of the power of the gospel, and that the church will grow. It gives us confidence in what we do so that we can have clarity with the task that's in front of us. So let's pray. Let's ask God to help us this morning as we come to his word. Heavenly Father, we, we just ask, Father, that the distractions of this week just won't get in the road now, but that our minds will have clarity so that as we have clarity, we will live the straight life, that it will shape how we act, how we feel. It will shape the way in which we function as a church for the sake of your glory and for your fame around the world. And we pray this for the sake of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. A mission mindset sets your mind straight. A mission mindset sets your mind straight. We all, we all have missions, we all have things that are in our mind of what we want to achieve. You know, maybe for you today, your mission mindset this morning was waking up and was just hoping to get to church by the second song and have 50% of your kids dressed with shoes and the other 50% at least dressed and get a cup of coffee, instant coffee on the way in. And your mission mindset is, I could just get that to happen today. Phew, my life will be achieved. 
you know, or, or maybe you have just a, you've got a mission mindset this week. Um, as you've got older, you've got multiple doctor's appointments, and this week you've got a couple, and your mission mindset in this moment is just to get to those appointments, and so you've structured your week, you've structured what you do, and you're just trying to navigate life. See, a mission mindset, it, it, it shapes how you react, it shapes how you structure your life. It shapes how you feel and react to the world around you. A mission mindset gives you great clarity of what you're here to do. A mission mindset sets your mind straight. And, and I actually think, you know, you know, getting your kids here, you know, going to the doctors, they're their missions. But I, I think we've all got bigger missions in life than just that. We have a big mission. There's one thing that just drives us. It drives our feelings. It drives our thoughts. It drives our finances. It's just one big mission that we have. Because actually, I think we, we are actually all being created with a mission mindset. We've all been created with a mission mindset. We've just got to go back to Genesis chapter 1. God created the heavens and the earth. He created male and he created female. He created us in his image to fill, to increase and to multiply and to fill the earth. That was the mission that we were given. And really what Genesis 1 is saying, that we were given the mission to go and fill the earth with God's glory. We were made to make much of God and to have Him at the center of the universe, to live under His good, kind rule and to flourish under that. We were created for that. But you get to Genesis chapter 3 and what happens? We sin and the mission mindset becomes about me. I'm at the center of the universe. I want the glory. I don't want to live God's way. I want to live my way. And as you go through the Old Testament, you start to get to Genesis chapter 4 and the mission mindset, it's all about me. Cain kills Abel. And you just get to Genesis 6 and Genesis 11 and you just keep going through the Old Testament. And over and over again, you see humanity with a mission mindset that's all about themselves even the people of God who were exiled went into other countries and they profaned the name of Yahweh because life was all about them but in God's goodness and his grace the Bible is a story of redemption that 2,000 years ago, God would send his son, Jesus, into the world, right? Because we've got this disconnection from God, we've got this me-centered theology that God would send his son, Jesus, into the world and he would live the life that we could not live. He died the death we could not, that we should have died and he rose from the grave. And in Jesus... We have the good news, the gospel, which is a message of victory that's taken place of what Christ has achieved and what we haven't. It's all about what he has done. And in Jesus, through faith, we have forgiveness. We have redemption. We're now sons and daughters. We are now no longer centered on us, but we're centered on God. So the gospel is a message of us being reconnected to God by grace. And we've received that. And therefore, now we have a new mission mindset. Now, if you're here today, maybe you're seeking, maybe you're, you're just wanting to know who Jesus is. Maybe you've come along with a family and you're not a Christian. You're like, what's going on? Hopefully you'll see that, that the gospel is a beautiful message, not about what we do, but it's about what Jesus has done. And that you'll see and learn why Christians are so passionate about making Jesus known. Because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The book of Acts over and over again talks about the resurrection of Jesus and what it brings for our life. A mission mindset 
sets your mind straight. And in the first century, the church just grows, right? It, just, it, it gets this moment where in, in Acts 1, 1 and 2, like this 3,000, you know, 120, 3,000, 5,000, and then it just it grows at a, an incredible rate. And they would have been excited about that, the early Christians. But then the Jewish leaders were like, sorry, we do not want you preaching Jesus raised from the grave in this city. And as, as early Christians would have thought, whoa, this is opposition. Is the, the gospel still going to go out? And what we found last week was actually, no, it's, not unst- it's, it's unstoppable. Even opposition from the Jewish leaders is not going to stop the gospel going out because God's sovereign. And through suffering, he brings good. But then in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 5, which we didn't look at, you've got Ananias and Sapphira, who are all about their own reputation. They, they, they have egos. They want to be seen as important. And they might have a hilltop view of the Mount of Olives. And they sell that mansion for $300,000. And they say to the, the leaders of the church, here's $100,000 from our our, our house that we sold, that's, that's what the price we sold it for. But they kept the other 200. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with them doing that, but the problem was they were doing that and they lied because it was about their reputation. In a way, it's, looks, it's almost like it's a threat to the growth of the church. And today, as we come to this passage, we don't have this opposition from external, but we have this internal opposition to the growth of the church. It comes internally. Now, Acts chapter 6, if you're doing a topical series on leadership, if you're thinking about elders and deacons, if you're thinking about that, often Acts chapter 6 is a passage that we all go to with Baptist things to try and say, hey, here's why we have these positions. And when we do a series on leadership in some time in the future, we'll come probably to this passage and work through that. But today, we're not going to do that. Today, we're just going to encounter the text. And so today we're going, to, we're going to have a look at it and we're going to see that there's a problem, we're going to see that there's a solution and then we're going to see that there's a result to that. So let's, let's, let's dig into today's passage as we get a clear mission mindset that sets our minds straight. First, what we're going to see is that there's a problem and it's an internal problem. What's the internal problem? Number one, people are grumbling and complaining. Why? Well, there's been church growth. The church has actually grown in number. Have a look at verse 1 there. It it, it alludes to it. Verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. So the church has been growing in number. There's more people sitting around. Like it just grows, grows, grows. That's the context. Because of growth, they're complaining and they're grumbling. Now there's probably, you know, maybe there's possibly 10,000 Christians in Jerusalem at this point. With a population of maybe 50 or up to 150,000 when the festival's on. And so there's a fair few Christians in Jerusalem at this time. And it's, but it's an internal problem. See, often, you know, as Christians, we can think that the problem's all out there. It's the government's the problem. The legislation they're bringing in. The attack is from everyone else but the church. But what we're seeing today's passage, actually, no, no, no. There can be just as much as one in, internally in the church. It can actually come from within the church. Because... We're not growing because of us. The real threat can come internally. Have a look at verse 1 there again. Right, it's growth. There's been great growth. And then the Hellenistic Jews among them, they complain against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now that word complaining, it's, it's, 
I suppose it's talking behind the scenes. Or another way you could translate it, it's murmuring. They're not going to the apostles, but in a sense it appears that there's this complaining and murmuring that's happening among the people. And I think that in a sense, maybe it's a bit of gossip. Murmuring, complaining. I don't know, have you ever experienced it? Have you ever experienced it in church life where one person starts to, they've got a problem with someone, whether it's someone in leadership or a pastor, and they start to murmur and complain. They don't go to the person, but they go to one other person. And before long, they're murmuring and complaining that, oh, they didn't do this, or they didn't do that. They should be doing this. And what happens is, what do they do? They grab more people, and before long, you've got 20 or 30 different people who are murmuring and complaining, and what does it do? It splits churches. It spreads through it like cancer. As the person keeps pushing and gossiping, trying to gain an audience. Now the problem here is that the Hellenistic Jews are being overlooked. But there's this sort of internal conflict over it. Now the ancient world, there was no super fund, there was no pension like in Australia. In the ancient world, you know, if, if a widow's husband, well, she's a widow because her husband's died, the family would look after you. So in, in Jerusalem, if, if a Hebraic widow, husband died, the family would feed them. Whereas in Australia, what do we do? We don't do that. We have the pension and, and things like that. And what's happening is they're getting fed, but then the Hellenistic Jews aren't. The, the, it seems like the food's getting passed over them. And, and why? Well, I, I think maybe because being Hellenistic Jews, they're Greek-speaking Jews, so they're people who have moved back to Jerusalem. Back when Israel were exiled to Babylon, and after that, the Jews, they were exiled, dispersed all around the world, in the known world at that time. So some of them went to Greece, they got, and, and, and as they settled in that community, they would pick up the culture and the language of that place. But what would happen sometimes is that the elderly Jewish people, say the Hellenistic Jews, as they got older, they would want to get back to the Holy Land and they would travel back to Jerusalem where they could be at the temple. But sometimes their family didn't come with them. And so there's a problem when they die. How does a widow get cared for? Now, I don't think it's a racial problem here. You could easily go, hey, it's because of, you know, they're Greeks, Jews, I don't know. But I, I think it's, 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 just, it's, it's something that's happening, this admin, this social administration, that, that they're getting overlooked. Now, I want you to remember something here, that the problem that they've raised is actually really genuine. It's just the way they've gone about it, it appears. Now, don't hear me wrong at all during today's sermon we never shove things under the carpet we're not downplaying no 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 the, the problem is real and genuine but there is people who are murmuring and complaining that's not good you know maybe today i don't know maybe it might be something like this today someone in the church starts murmuring oh did you notice that that leader there walked over to that person and gave them a cup of tea but they didn't come to us isn't that interesting? I wonder why that is. Oh, <laughs> they've, they've, they've let the leaders know, hey, this is how much money I've given. And then they start complaining, well, you haven't used the money 
how I want you to use the money in the church. And, and, and it just starts building and building. Now, isn't it interesting? We pay them to do that. Why aren't they doing that? And, and, but why do we speak like that in those moments? It's because the mission mindset is a me-centered theology that it's all about you. Did you hear about this or did you see that? That shouldn't happen. See, gossip, I, I think in a way, maybe, maybe it might have been some gossip. Like Gossip is used to puff you up and to tear the other person down. Gossip is used so powerfully by the person who wants to gossip. Did you hear about this that happened this week? In a way of going, I want to look better. But secondly, what does gossip often do? Gossip is used to manipulate an outcome of an event so that you get your way. And that's sin. It's toxic. It's cancer. But I suppose in a sense, as we are sinful human beings with messy lives. But what does that kind of conversation, this murmuring and that, what does it do? It kills the mission mindset. And it creates a me mission mindset. And now, this is not a new mindset, like this, this idea of me. Like, this word complaining is actually used in the Old Testament in the Greek translation of it. And it's used in Exodus chapter 16, when the people of God, they're 15 days into redemption, right? 15 days ago, they got to walk through the Red Sea. They've seen the mighty hand of God redeem them and save them. And 15 days in, they start murmuring. God, you've brought us to this place. We might as well have go back to Egypt and you can kill us there. You've given us no food. So they're murmuring and complaining. There's nothing better than a distraction to preoccupy us with something so that we neglect what we should be doing. And the threat here is that it's for the leaders is to be preoccupied with social administration. It's not saying there's anything wrong with it, but it's, there's a threat here that they'll be preoccupied. This internal conflict could be, it seems to be like there's been great church growth, but it brings obviously conflict. And it's like, well, what's going to happen now? Is this going to stop the church growth? But so I think these apostles have this mission mindset that sets their mind straight. They have clarity around what their purpose is, what the mission is, and what the gospel is. They never say that it's unimportant to feed the widows, but they comprehend if we are to do it, it's going to take them away from what's important, the study of God's word and for prayer. So something needs to change, and so they come up with a solution. What is the solution? Well, that, what, what does this mission mindset create? Well, it creates a solution, which is people are enabled and are empowered. They they institute, they bring in structure so that the widows will get fed. See, our primary task as a church is to be making and growing disciples of Jesus for the glory of God. And knowing that will bring organizational change and structure to ensure that that keeps on going. Why? Because the church is not a static thing. It's alive. We're empowered by the Spirit. And it's an organism, right? That's what an organism is. It's something that's alive and it shoots and grows and keeps moving around. An organism is a sense where we get the word organization from. Because we need organization with an organism because it's alive and moving around. Now, I don't know, we, we all come from different backgrounds, but maybe for you today, you're actually feeling just a little bit uncomfortable when I talk about structure and organization. You might go, this is the church of God. We shouldn't bring words like organization and structure into it. Now, what we're going to see in this passage is they actually do do that. 
But I think what's really helpful for you so that you can be okay with it, right? That the language in your Bible was pulled from the culture that they lived in. So, you know, your book of Ephesians, Colossians, they're using language that was used in the marketplace, language that was used in a theatre, language that was used to describe things in the world, and it's just everyday language in which it's being used in our Bible so that we know God. And, and so, you know, you may feel uncomfortable thinking, oh, the church shouldn't use those kind of words. I think it is okay, as long as we're, you know, grounded in what's most important. And, and let's have a look there at verse 2. <coughs> so the 12, they've gathered all the disciples together. Like, that would have been a pretty big crew. All the disciples, right? This is not just the 12. This is in Jerusalem. And it would not be right. Notice that they've recognized it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. For the sake of the gospel, it's not wise for us to serve in this way. I want to be, you know, it can lead to exhaustion. It can lead to distraction from the mission. They're, they're men who have been serving and washing their feet. But at the rapid growth, if they keep doing that, they'll just tire out and not do what they're meant to primarily do. Um, a mission mindset, it, it just gives you great clarity. Like, I've occasionally read, um, you know, you see adverts for jobs. And sometimes an advert for a job for a pastor for a church will tell you what the church thinks the role of the pastor is and sometimes I've read it and you read the list and I thought boy if I was just to do the first half and spend five minutes doing each task during the week I would never get to preaching and prayer you think whoa there's a problem there because in that moment it tells you hang on it's it's about going no no we're we're paying We, we want the leaders to do all that stuff but a mission mindset says, no, 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 actually, we know it's important and we want the church to keep growing. And so we're going to structure things so that it can free people up so that the gospel can keep going out. These, these men, it's like if we don't do something, something's going to happen. And look at verse 3. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. True believers who have wisdom, who know what um, the mission is. And we turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. They delegate the task. They recognize and they empower others to lead and to serve. They give opportunities going, hey, we need to free ourselves up so that we can do what's important. So the mission mindset sets your mind straight. And our our mission, it's to make and grow disciples of Jesus for the glory of God. It's about disciple making. That we need to be on about that. Now, what's interesting is, what happens here isn't new either in the Bible. Go back to Exodus 18 now, a couple of chapters after the murmuring. And, and Moses, like, he's got, a, well, a lot of people in the wilderness. And he's, 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 there's disputes happening all the time, there's conflict. And so they all brought before him, and he's so tired, and he's an exhausted man. And his father-in-law turns up and goes, Buddy, you're tired and exhausted. You're going to burn out if you keep leading this way. And Jethro, in his wisdom, says, you know what you need to do, Moses? You need to appoint some people to take care of those matters so that you can worry about what's the most important matter. 
And so they do that. He takes that advice on board. Growth brings change. Growth will bring things needing to be moved around structurally and organisationally. Now, I think as Christians, we get excited about growth. But when the growth comes, we don't get so excited because it means we have to become uncomfortable and change. So the early church, they had one purpose. They, res- they, had, they resourced together to serve one God, one Saviour and one mission. And they put things in place so that the main thing stays the main thing. I heard an illustration, and I think it's a helpful one a little bit for this, because you might be going, but, but hang on, this, this, how much can you move around? Well, I think it's helpful to think of a house that has foundations, that has walls, and you have furniture inside. And occasionally, I know you might be want to reno a house, and what do you do? You might knock a wall out to make the kitchen bigger, to make it more functionable. You'll move some furniture around the lounge room. Last couple of weeks ago, we got a lounge room. We had lounges set in a certain way, but we decided to move the lounges around so that more people would fit in, but they could have better eye contact with each other, right? We move those things. I suppose what's helpful for us in this moment as a church is to think, okay, the structural things we move around as we need, it's like moving lounges around. But the foundations don't. You see what I mean? The foundation of the Word of God, the foundation of what the gospel is and the call to repentance and what the clarity of it is, those are the foundations. But on the inside, so that it functions better, we'll just move some stuff around to make it more happy, you know, to make it more productive. I suppose that's a good question to ask yourself is, is there something I could take off someone to free them up to do ministry? Is there something I could say, hey, you know what, I'm really good at that. Could I grab that and I'll do it so that you can spend more time on this for direction and vision and leadership? Yeah, because I don't know about you, but um, as I look around, most of you can do things way better than I could ever do, right? You're more talented, you've got better gifts. There's things that you can just do that I just can't get done. And that's a beautiful thing to happen in the church. Because it is disastrous for church leaders to hold on to stuff so tightly and never releasing it to the growth of the church. But it's just as disastrous to have people sit back and think it's all up to the leaders to do it and we pay you to do it. Both hinder. And so what do they do? They pick seven men. Go pick seven men to put these fires out. That's what they do, because like, there's conflict happening. So they pick seven people, fill with the Spirit, go put these fires out so that the mission will press on. Let's be a church, to Gabby, let's be a church that at the first hint of murmuring and complaining, we will quench that fire so that we can give ourselves week in and week out to the mission in front of us. Now, we're probably, you know, if you're a Hellenistic Jew here today, come and see me. Um, But I doubt there's probably any Hellenistic Jew widows here today. And we probably won't have that same problem in the sense that we're in Australia. We have the pension, we have the super, like there's other means in which widows will be cared for. So as a church, we've actually been set free from that a little bit, but we need to care, you know, for it internally. So we may not have that problem of widows being unfed. 
But I wonder, like, and, and so to free, to, you know, to have those women fed, freed with this structure, freed the leaders to do the main thing. So I wonder what it is in the life of our church in which, hey, if we could free some people up, it would actually help us take the gospel out. What would it be? You know, I, I, I pondered this this week. What would it be that's holding us back? Well, we've got an incredible facility. But boy, we need some people who want to oversee it and look after it. Have it get it painted, keep it up to date, get it ready for newcomers. Like, we need some lawns made. You know, there's those kind of things that, that really are quite a, an onious task on leadership. It might, it might be something like that. Maybe that's something. Or maybe it's your expectation. You think, well, it's the pastor's role to engage people in the community. Maybe you're just great at making engaged events. You're actually like this, you're just great at it and you can go, you know what, I can put on five, ten events a year and organise it so that we can engage our culture around us. Help us put on the conveyancing. Help us put on a night where we, we cut up some meat. Or put on a night where you make some cakes so that we can engage our community around us to free us so then that we can invite them to go, hey, why don't you come to Christianity Explained? I don't know, maybe something like that might actually, like, it actually sort of free us up a little bit. People... Are gr- people are grumbling and complaining, but point two, people are, are enabled and empowered. There's a sense in which they've unleashed something. Now, we've got a puppy called Lottie. She's up on the screen. Like, I think she's about seven or eight months. She's very cute, very beautiful. And so yesterday, I took her to the soccer. I had like four or five hours on the sideline at soccer, so I took Lottie with us. She was on the leash. Can I tell you, I'm tired and exhausted today. I'm worn out. Why? Because she's not trained. And I had to walk her on the leash. And so you can imagine within the first 100 metres, if you've ever done this, the dog is just trying to just take off. And it's just... And I'm there trying to pull this dog back all day. I was exhausted. And I just felt like, I just want to let you go. But I don't want to let you go. I was tired and exhausted from holding it back. From all the things I had to do. Now, don't take this illustration the wrong way, right? So... Like, if I did unleash the dog, I'd be free, and the dog would be free to live. And it could be a possibility the dog would go, you know, wouldn't do what I wanted to do. So don't push it that far for us as a church. But I wonder what would happen if we made more structural changes and unleashed, unleashed us. What would happen? What would the result be? More people serve and it just, poof, off we go. Because what's the result? Like, did you notice the result in this passage? What outcome was achieved, right? Well, people are saved and people grow. Have a look at verse 1 again. Like, in these days, it makes it very clear, there is growth. In those days when the numbers of disciples were increasing, there's growth. The problem was growth brings change. Growth brings conflict. So they had to introduce some structure so that the widows would be fed. But yet, have you noticed what happened? What does it produce? Go down to verse 7. Notice the word so. So the word of God spread or continued to increase. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number, like get this, a large number of priests become obedient to the faith. They become Christian. There's growth. People are saved. Now, 
This word for spread, it's like continue to increase. The word for increase rapidly, it's a great way to... And, and I suppose in a sense, it's, it's a verb tense that's not just a once off, but it was a continuous action. It just continued to grow. And what I think is really helpful here is when you think about the word of God spreading, not only is the word of God spreading out into the world, but as one commentator says, it's really helpful with the, the way it's worded, that it's, it's actually saying it also spread amongst the people who are already Christians. So in the sense of not only was there people becoming disciples in large numbers, going from darkness to light, at the same time, the word of God spread there, but it actually spread among the people that they matured at the same time. So not only did people become Christian, but Christians became more like Christ. There was growth. People are saved. What was the result of this decision? The grumbling stopped and the word of God spread. Having a mission mindset sets your mind straight. What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of moving forward with the gospel? What are you willing to, 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 to lay aside? What personal preference are you willing to say, hey, I'll, I'll put that aside so that the church internally will grow and people will come to know Christ? Because what I notice in this text, I think, in a sense, is that it cost everyone something you notice that every single disciple this change and this growth cost everyone something now for some they had an ego gossiping kind of thing and that was probably a really good thing that it stopped that right that's sin but did you ever think about it that if the apostles were feeding the tables of the widows that the hellenistic and hebraic jewish widows they gave up the apostles serving them, having meals with them. You see, like, they actually had to give that up. The apostles, likewise, had to give that up as well. Their interactions with the Hebraic and Hellenistic Jewish widows. There was a cost there. There was a cost for everyone. There was a cost to those men to give up their time, energy, to have meetings at night, to go around and get food organised. It was a cost to them in time and resources and whatever it might be. There's a cost to everyone here, I think, because of growth. But they had a mission mindset to see it go further. Now, how did they get to this result? Here's why I think, because the apostles had a mission mindset. The main thing was to stay the main thing. They were infused so much with the centrality of the gospel. They, they understood possibly Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where it says, you're to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the You're to take this gospel to the ends of the world. They grasped that this was our primary purpose now. That they grasped that Jesus, what's he doing in history right now? He's growing his kingdom through the preaching of the gospel. And so their mindset was straight. They had clarity on that. Now, I just want you to, to there's a, there's, I'm going to get a picture of Daniel Ricciardo is going to come up on the screen. Now, if you don't know who Daniel Ricciardo is, it's totally fine, right? He's just an F1 racing car driver. It's, it's car racing. You might not be interested in it at all. But what was really interesting, so 
Daniel Ricciardo is an Aussie. He's famous. Like to get into F1 racing, you've got to be very, very good. But last year, he went, well, two years, he went to McLaren Racing, right? The, the orange jacket. He went to McLaren Racing and he went pretty bad, right? He wasn't getting fast times. He just wasn't getting where he should have been in the car that they had. And so what happened halfway through last year? He worked out that he was going to get sacked. So he got sacked by McLaren. But then this year, um, Red, Bull, uh, Red Bull said, we'll take you on, but you, you're not driving, right? You're just a, you're a backup driver. And a couple of weeks ago, someone else got sacked because they weren't racing we, real well. And so Red Bull's loaned him to the other car. And, and two weeks ago, Daniel Ricciardo found himself back on the grid of F1. And I, I, I was reading something which was really interesting. Someone said, hey, Daniel, what's changed? Because in that race, he went incredibly well in a slower car. And they asked him, what's changed, Daniel? And he said, last year, my mindset was on grumbling and complaining that the car's not good enough. The car's not what I used to drive like. It doesn't have the brakes. It's just the car. and the t like, He said, my mindset was about complaining all the time. And when he got this second chance to race again, they said, what's changed? He said, my mindset changed from grumbling and complaining to go, this is just what's in front of us. And sometimes I think we just need a mission. Well, we just need a mindset reset to get back to the real mission. Sometimes we get caught up in the mindset of complaining and murmuring, of gossip and annoyance. But the mindset it's not about complaining, but it's about the mission of reclaiming Jesus to the world. See, we need that kind of mindset so that we'll be willing to change where needed for the gospel. You know, sometimes when we think about mission mindset, some of you might think, oh, but James, that will just all be about reaching the lost and nothing will happen internally, no one will be cared for. But did you notice that the early church had a mission mindset that was both external and internal like they cared about the gospel going out to the ends of the earth and at the same time by the care of the widows we saw that they really cared for things internally in the church so to have a mission mindset is to be seeing people come to Christ and people to grow up in Christ and so they have structure they, they bring this structure in to just go hey we've got cared for and one of the ways that we do care in Toon Gabby Baptist Church because of our size is the structure that we have in place is life groups so if, if you're, you're not in a life group and you feel disconnected from church, what we're going to do is encourage you that actually the best place that you'll get care and feel connected is in life group. That's a structural thing to just help us be better at what we do. If you have a, the right mindset, it brings clarity, brings confidence, and it helps us be on mission. So I've got four quick things of how the mission mindset drives. The... Um, the first one is it drives the need for structure, which is bizarre, isn't it? Like, some of us aren't structured, I'm not that structured, but for the sake of the gospel, we see that you do need order, you do need structure. God is a God of order. We see that in Genesis 1 and 2. Our vision is to see thousands of lives transformed by Jesus in Western Sydney and beyond, and to do that, we're going to need to keep changing things for that sake, but we never change the gospel. But it also, secondly, I think it drives the need for mission-leaded leaders. We see here that they've got this mission-minded... Now, as you go through the qualifications for leaders, I actually think you see that there's a mission-mindedness to them. They're moved by the Spirit. They're becoming more like Jesus. There's this mission about them of wanting to see the gospel and the glory of God go to the ends of the earth. So if you have leaders that you put in place who you think they're just going to run my way, you will not have a mission mindset and it will just hinder. So having mission-minded ministry leaders, deacons, elders, pastors, 
that having that actually really helps go, hey, we want to see growth internally and from externally. So I think Acts 6 is a really helpful passage and it refutes the application that all we do is preach the word of God. Some churches say just preach the word of God and it'll just happen. No, actually Acts 6 is a really good way to be reminded that the apostles in this passage, no, no, the word will flourish with leadership and help from us. Do you say like, you can't think that if we just preach the word, it's all going to come into place. No, you actually need leadership that's mission-minded. And if you're a leader here in whatever form it may be, whether it's a life group, whether it's a deacon, whatever form of leadership you're in here, remember to grow your mindset. And thirdly, it drives the need for urgency. Why? Because there's a real reality of heaven and hell. There's a real reality of darkness and light. There's a real reality in which people can find forgiveness and redemption only in Jesus, the way, the truth and the life. There's an urgency there for it. And that desire and yearning to see the passion of God go out to the ends of the earth leads us to a mission mindset of Jesus and his kingdom. But how do you keep that mission mindset or reset it? Run to the gospel every day. Run to the cross every day where your pride will be killed. Run to the cross every day to remind you that you're more wicked than you can ever imagine and you're more loved than you could ever think to dream of. The gospel resets you every day. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything about our life. That now we have a new mission mindset. See, when it isn't just a handful of people serving but a whole crowd that have got a mission mindset, growth takes place. So today we saw there's a problem, some grumbling, (laughs) murmuring. There there was a solution where they put some structures in so that that, the fires would be put out, but also that the widows would be fed well. But we saw the result. The church grew. The church took off. Because... You know, there's a young, he might have been young, young man called Stephen. You know, he's been in Jerusalem, he's become a Christian. <laughs> and, and a few, you know, he's noticing some of the complaining, he's heard some of the gossip. He's like, oh, I wonder what's that going to do to the church? I've heard about the Jewish leaders trying to stop the... Re- and, and then the, 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 these apostles, they step in and say, hey, we've got to keep on about the word, we've got to keep on about the gospel, and therefore we need to free ourselves up so that the widows be fed. And, and Stephen gets picked, this young man gets picked, filled with the Holy Spirit, who has this mission mindset, and he gets picked to do that to feed, to put weight on tables. And what appears like in Acts chapter 7 is this Stephen finds himself before the Sanhedrin preaching the resurrection of Christ. Isn't that like, boom, boom. And by the end of chapter 7, he's preached the gospel, they take offence, he's the first martyr, but then in the next chapter, the gospel goes to Judea and Samaria through just unleashing like persecution struck the church they had to get out and through Stephen's preaching the church multiplied so imagine what happens as we multiply and have a mission mindset that sets the mind straight let's pray Father, may we be people about your glory, about the passion of wanting the world to know you. And so help us in our jobs, in our sport, in our families, in in everyday life. Help us have a mission mindset that just shapes our family life, it shapes our relationships. 
a gospel mindset. And Lord, may it just be deeply ingrained in us that it actually shapes how we do church life here. That, that we're all in with this gospel that transformed our lives and can transform the millions of lives that live in Sydney. Amen.